Lily did such a great job. And I think I know who stole the cookie. It could have been my kid. It could have been Jacob. <laughs> could have been. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, we're in part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is describing what a righteousness looks like that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were the religious leaders in Jesus' day and they took pride in how religious their life looked. Outwardly, their life looked righteous. But inwardly, their hearts were far from God. So against this, against their outward religious righteousness, Jesus is teaching us an inward and a truer righteousness, one where who we are on the outside matches who we are on the inside. Jesus doesn't want us just to act rightly, he wants us to think rightly and to feel rightly and to love rightly. And when our outside righteousness matches or corresponds with our inside righteousness, then we have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. And so Jesus gives us six illustrations of what this could look like. The first was do not murder, that's the external. And then he says, but also do not hate in your heart. That's the internal. Second was do not commit adultery, the external, but also do not lust in your heart, that's the internal. Third, do not divorce, that's the external, but the implication is uphold marriage, that's the internal. And now this week we come to Jesus' fourth example, which has to do with telling the truth and living a life of integrity. So, please follow along as I read God's word, Matthew chapter five, verses 33 through 37. This is Jesus speaking. Again, you have heard it that it was said, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In our day, misinformation and lying are everywhere. In preparing for this sermon, I came across some mind-blowing statistics. Uh, Studies conducted by social psychologists back in the 70s determine that a person is lied to an average of 200 times a day. And in more recent studies have shown a similar kind of development that the average person lies two to three times in every 10 minutes of conversation. It's no wonder that we live in a day where there is a crisis of truth and a crisis of trust. People simply don't know whose authority to trust or where to look for truth. 
And in recent years, things have just gotten alarmingly worse with the proliferation of fake news and conspiracy theories, echo chambers and confirmation bias. And then on top of all that, 2020 happened. The recently released 2021 Elderman Trust Barometer reported precipitous trust declines last year in societal institutions. The four major institutions, government, business, NGOs, and the media, apparently have never been trusted less, not really surprising. The study concludes that these institutions now lack the trust capital to lead us forward. To which we all said, that's not news to me. It sounds bad because it is bad, and yet there's nothing new under sun. In this way, our day is not really that much different than Jesus' day. The religious and political leaders in Jesus' day also practiced and promoted deception. Misinformation and lying was everywhere. There was a crisis of truth and a crisis of trust. And so out of this, Jesus calls forth a people who will follow him and be radically committed to telling the truth and living with integrity. Jesus calls his disciples to say what they mean and to mean what they say. And so to guide our study this morning, I've got two points, two points to guide us. First, the teaching of Jesus. We wanna look at just simply what does he teach here? What is he saying? And then second, the way of Jesus. What is he calling us to do? Where is he calling us to go? How is he calling us to live? So we begin with the teaching of Jesus. Point number one, the teaching of Jesus. Look again with me at verse 33 here. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This isn't a uh, direct quote of the Old Testament. Rather, Jesus is summarizing a number of laws in the Old Testament. Uh, Let me give you three examples. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20 says, you shall fear the Lord your God, You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. So the command here is, if you take an oath, do it in God's name. In other words, honor God by keeping your word. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am God the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. If He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So we see here that the Old Testament does not forbid taking an oath, not even one made in God's name. Instead, what it forbids is taking an oath lightly, in other words, thinking you can break it if you make it, or making, it, or making light use of God's name. It prohibits taking the Lord's name in vain. Third commandment. God's law forbids lying as it promotes honesty. Now, in the ancient world, swearing or making an oath that you were gonna do this or you were gonna do that was ubiquitous. Everyone in that time did it. It was just this cultural thing. Um, everybody swore, you know, I swear I'll do, uh, you know, on my mother's grave, I promise, you know, that kind of a thing was all the time in that culture there. So an example of this, you may remember Peter denying Jesus, right? The first time, he did it three times. The first time he denies Jesus. The second time, we're told he denied Jesus with an oath. 
The third time, we're told that he denied Jesus, invoking a curse on himself and swearing, I do not know the man. Of course, he was lying. But oath-making like this was a cultural thing. It's just how you spoke and how you did it. And so much so that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, or by Jesus' day, they had crafted this elaborate system for determining how binding an oath was. And they did this by judging how closely whatever you bound yourself to, whatever you swore by, how closely that was associated with God's name. So we saw in the Old Testament, you're supposed to, if you're gonna make an oath, make it in the Lord's name. Honor the Lord by keeping your word. And it had developed in Judaism that God's word was too, our name was too holy to say. Um, No one could say God's name. So instead, make an oath, this was the developed thinking, make an oath by something associated with God. Okay, well, how closely does it have to be associated with God? So the rabbis started to determine all these different ways that they would judge an oath and which ones could be broke and which ones had to be kept. So for instance, swearing by heaven and earth. I swear by heaven and by earth. That sounds impressive, but rabbis judged, eh, that's not actually very binding. That's not that closely related to God, so, mm. Neither was swearing by Jerusalem. I swear by Jerusalem. Eh, they'd say not very binding. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, if you face yourself towards the holy city, oh, that becomes binding, they would say. And against these kinds of hair-splitting distinctions, Jesus says in verses 34 and 36, if you look there again, he's speaking into his culture. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white, And then I imagine he looked out and saw some white hairs, and he said with a smile, or black. The implication being, only God can do that. So even when you swear by your own head, you're still swearing by God, everything is the Lord's. So everything sworn is sworn in his name in some way. Now, in fact, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 23, or you can use the Pew Bible there if you need one. Keep, keep your finger in Matthew 5, we'll be back to that in just a minute, but Matthew chapter 23, here we find, just like we saw last week, when Jesus dealt with divorce in Matthew 5, and then he dealt with it later in Matthew chapter 19, well, in chapter 23, he takes up this topic of swearing, or making an oath again, and in this section of scripture, Jesus is condemning the religious leaders in his day, he's, he's, he's casting these woes on them, essentially these curses on them, and verses 16 through 22 has to do with how they're misleading God's people with all this oath-taking and swearing that they lead them in so confusedly. He says, woe to you blind guides, this is verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? You say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. 
And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. In other words, Jesus is saying all this kind of hair-splitting distinctions you Pharisees make is just ridiculous. You're blind fools. It's all gods. And what this did culturally was it promoted deception. So people like Peter could make these swears. I didn't know him, I swear I don't know him. People could just make those kinds of oaths or swears all the time, but they didn't have to really mean it. It's like people went around with their fingers crossed behind their back. Oh, <laughs> I got you. I actually swore by the temple, not by the gold of the temple. Oh, I'm free, you know. Like they would always get themselves out by twisting their words. And against this, Jesus says, so back to Matthew chapter five, Jesus says to his disciples, those who are gonna follow him, listen, you need to be known by your honesty. So verse 37, here's what he's, his teaching is, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus wants us to speak the truth and live with integrity. That's the simple, plain teaching of this passage. Now we wanna go consider the way of it in just a minute, but first we need to deal with uh, an ethical dilemma that this passage sets up for some Christians. There is an ethical dilemma we're confronted here. Look at verse 34 with me. Did you say Jesus said, or did you see Jesus says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, blah, 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 blah. So some look at this passage and they determine Jesus forbids all oaths, vows, swearing. An example of this are the Mennonite and Amish communities. So in part, their separation from society is undergirded by a literalistic reading of this passage. They think Jesus forbids oaths, so that means no house mortgages, because you can't have contracts, no military service, uh, no holding government office, uh, no taking an oath in court. So in part, their whole society is a non-oath binding, non-oath laden society. That's part of why they live separately. Now, I would commend them for their zeal to keep Jesus' word. However, I'm not persuaded that's at all what Jesus intended here, and so I want to give you five reasons why I think it's okay, or why I believe Jesus is opposed, is not opposed to us making vows or oaths. Five reasons why I don't think Jesus is saying that. One, we've already seen in the Old Testament passages that we looked at that the law does not forbid making oaths. And in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus already told us he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So, that's reason number one. Reason number two, God himself takes oaths. So we see this in passages like Genesis 22, verse 16, or Psalm 110, verse four, or Hebrews 6, 17. Let's look at that one together, Hebrews 6, 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Reason number three, Jesus spoke under oath. Jesus spoke under oath. So at his tri trial, Jesus was interrogated and he kept frustratingly silent 
They kept saying, aren't you gonna answer this? Aren't you gonna answer these charges? Until finally the high priest put him under an oath and that's the one time Jesus spoke. So Matthew 26, 63 through 64. But Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you, in other words, I charge you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus spoke under oath, and I'd also point out, Jesus comes pretty close to making an oath or to swearing to the truth of something when he uses one of his favorite sayings, truly, truly, I say to you. He uses that 33 times just in Matthew's gospel. He's underlying, hey, I am telling you the truth here. All right, number four, I said five reasons. Number four, angels swear. Angels swear by God in Revelation 10, five through seven. You can look at that one your own later. Revelation 10, five through seven. Fifth, final reason, at least five times, Paul makes an oath-like statement. So one example, 2 Corinthians 1, 23. But I call God to witness against me it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So from all this, I do not believe Jesus was opposed to us taking oaths, vows, or swearing. Um, next week, Lord willing, Austin Schifano, Austin Schifano and Mary, or can Mary Ruthie Wilson, where are they? And you can say your vows to the glory of God. Praise God, we can all say amen. I think. I think it's fine for them to exchange vows. If you're in business, I think it's fine for you to make contracts. I think if you're called to testify in court, then you can put your hand on a Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Jesus was not opposed to oaths or vows, but was opposed to the kind of oath-taking promoted by the Pharisees in his day. The kind of, my fingers were crossed behind my back when I promised that, I finagle and I wiggle to get out of keeping my word, and Jesus is saying, if you're gonna swear like that, then do not swear at all. Jesus wants us to be people of truth. People that keep our word. We mean what we say and we say what we mean. We speak the truth because we love the truth and we live in the truth. And that is the plain teaching of Jesus. Now, what about the way of Jesus then? The way of Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is wise. So it's in the doing of them. So how is Jesus calling us to live? What is he calling us to do? I have two sub-point application points for you, two application points for you. Number one, this one may not be immediately obvious, only through the cross can we be true. This is the way of Jesus. Only through the cross can we be true. And give me a minute to build this one for you, okay? The night before Jesus died, he gathered his disciples together for a meal that we now call the Last Supper. And at one point in the meal, he picked up a glass of red wine. And he said, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of covenant, the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now for a Jew, that was a blasphemous statement. Jesus was saying, it's not the blood of lambs and bulls 
that is gonna get you atoned with God, made right with God, but it's my own blood that's gonna be shed for the atonement. Jesus is saying, in my death, I will absorb the wrath of God and I will open the way of redemption for all peoples through a new and saving covenant relationship with God. He publicly declares that and then what happens? That very night, Jesus goes and prays with his disciples and while that's going down, his betrayer Judas comes with soldiers. They go to arrest him. Jesus' disciple Peter pulls out a sword and tries to fight back but Jesus stops him and says, that's not how this is going down, Peter. They don't take my life, I lay it down. So Jesus is arrested, he's falsely charged, he's beaten severely. Scripture says that they pulled out his beard. They spat at him, they mocked him. They made a crown of thorns and they pressed it into his head. Then they flogged him. This means they tied him to a post and they beat him with a leather whip that was interwoven with pieces of bone and metal that would tear through skin, slice through muscle to expose bone and intestines so that when they put his back up against that cross, it would rub against the wood. Then they crucified him, which begins by getting stripped naked so that you can be killed in the most humiliating way. And then they took his hands and his feet and they nailed him to a cross. Of course, hanging from a cross with just nails through your skin, it's just gonna rip your skin, so they tie you there too. And hanging there is incredibly painful, as you can imagine. But once the muscles give out in your arms, it becomes excruciating as your shoulders are separated from their sockets and the arm is lengthened by inches. And so most people inflexibly trying to support themselves by putting pressure on their feet, which have been nailed to the wood. And so it isn't long before their strengths give out there as well and they're left just hanging. And yet despite all that pain, We read that Jesus, at one point, pushes up against the nails so that he can cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then ultimately, Jesus probably died, though, not from just the pain of all that, but from from actual suffocation on the cross. What happens is, when the body slumps in fatigue like that, breathing becomes labored. And with this, carbon dioxide begins to build up in the blood, and the body responds instinctively, again, triggering the desire to breathe, and so you're having these labored breaths. At the same time, your heart starts to beat faster to send more blood with oxygen throughout your body, but there isn't enough oxygen in the blood, and so what happens is the tissue is damaged, and the capillaries begin leaking fluids into the blood tissue, into the stream, and this results in this buildup of fluid all around your heart and into your lungs so that your lungs collapse and your heart starts to fail and you're dehydrated, the inability to get oxygen into the tissue, all that happens so that you essentially just begin to suffocate to death. So, okay, why in a message on speaking the truth, am I giving this extended meditation on the horror of the cross? Well, because God in flesh subjected himself to this. A merciless death on the cross, why would he do that? 
He told us, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so I share all this to make the point that only through the cross can we be true, meaning the cross reveals who we really are. We don't think we're very bad people. But when we look at the cross, when we look at the cost of our sin, what it costs Jesus to purchase our forgiveness, we realize we are actually wretched sinners in need of a savior. You see what the cross does? The cross unmasks the horror of our sin, the ugliness of it. The cross calls us to stand before God with nothing to hide. At the cross, we see ourselves as God sees us apart from Jesus. The cross criticizes us and judges us more intensely, more and deeply, more pervasively, more truly than anyone else ever could. And only when we come to terms with what the cross says about us, only when we get honest with ourselves and we live in the truth of the cross, that we are sinful people in need of a savior, only then can we become truly truthful people. It doesn't matter how much outwardly you tell the truth. If you aren't truthfully inwardly with God about who you are, then you are not a truthful person. It's at the cross that we can become truthful. And it begins with us and seeing who we are. Only through the cross can we be true. And yet before we move on, Let me just also say, thank God the cross also tells us we are forgiven, amen? (laughs) The cross doesn't just show us how bad we are, the cross shows us the cost of our sin, it also shows us the price that was willingly paid so that every sin we now battle is a forgiven sin. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I don't wanna leave anyone under guilt here today but we gotta come to terms with what the cross says about us too. So that's application number one, only through the cross can we be true. Application number two then is, we don't need oaths as Christians because we are radically truthful. Radically truthful. Jesus' disciples say what they mean and mean what they say. They tell the truth and they do what they say they are going to do. So ultimately, we don't need oaths to confirm our words. We're not forbidden from taking an oath, but we just don't need one because our yes is yes and our no is no. Christians don't lie and hopefully everyone knows that. I mean, like in the world around us, they just know us as true. Scripture has a lot to say about lying. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 say, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Number two on the list is a lying tongue. Number one is haughty eyes, pride. Number two is a lying tongue. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 20, verse 17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Or here's one, Revelation 21, verse eight, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, 
the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In other words, unrepentant liars go to hell. Lying is a serious offense in God's kingdom, and this is because it's against his very nature. Passages like Titus 1-2 speak of God as one who never lies. He is truth. It's impossible for him to lie because it's against his very nature, and he wants us who are created in his image to be marked by truth as well. And when God gave the Ten Commandments, truthfulness was included in them, right? Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This was because social order depends on truth. Relationships are built on trust, and trust is built on truth. If you don't have truth, you won't have trust, and if you don't have trust, you can't have social order, you can't even have friendship or fellowship. So God knew exactly what he was doing when he commanded us to be truthful people. He knows it's best for everyone if we are truth-bearing and truth-telling. Now, one of my favorite passages on truth-telling is found in Ephesians 4, so I wanna invite you to turn over to Ephesians 4 for a couple minutes here. Ephesians chapter four, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And in this portion of the the passage, he's talking about their old life lived in sin versus their new life in Christ. So look with me at verses 21 through 24 to begin with. Ephesians four, verse 21 through 24. Paul says, assuming that you have heard about him, Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth, is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires note that we'll come back to it and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness All right, did you notice that in verse 22 the old self the old manner of life is corrupt through what interactive part of the message, is corrupt through deceitful desires, that's right. Deceit is at the very core of the old self. God didn't make us like that, but it got woven into our spiritual DNA through the fall. How? Because the very first sin was committed by humanity through believing a lie. The devil told Eve a lie, she bought it, was deceived, Adam went along with her, they disobeyed God. I think this is why in our passage in Matthew 5, Jesus says, speaking of deception, uh, anything beyond the truth, any of you, when you're trying to swear, oh no, you know, like when you're trying to swear and get around, he said anything like that comes from evil, or more literally, it's the evil one. The devil, John 8, the father of lies. So the fall of humanity is the result of lie, and that's how deceit is woven into our spiritual DNA. Lying characterizes the life of sin. This is why lying comes so naturally to us. It comes out of that old self, from the self that's corrupt through deceitful desires, and this is why lying is so common. It's one of the most common sins. It's because deceit is at the core of the old self. I remember back when I was in high school, before I was a Christian, I lied all the time. I lived a double life. 
I had so many lies, I started to get anxious that I was gonna start contradicting myself because I couldn't remember all the lies I had told. I've heard about people keeping a lie journal. You know, it would have been a good thing but a bad thing for me back then, right? Like, I needed one, but it would have been bad if I had it. It would have made things worse. Lying just came natural because it was a part of my deceitful old self. I've heard it said, men are not liars because they lie. Men lie because they're liars. Deceitful desires rule our old self, and yet for the Christian, happy news for us, that old self has been crucified with Jesus Christ. And so that old self can be put off and we can be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We can put on our new self in Christ Jesus, amen? And so look with me at verse 25, the very thing, first thing Paul calls us to do in the new self. He says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. The whole new self should be characterized by a new life of truth. So, it would be a fitting occasion for us, in light of this passage, to evaluate ourselves. How are we doing living in the truth? Does your yes mean yes and your no mean no? Is your word reliable? Can people count on you? Not just in the hard times, all the time. Do you modify the truth? Do you compromise the truth for personal convenience? Oh, I don't want to talk on the phone. Tell them I'm not here right now. Do you disguise the truth to suit your needs? What about on social media? Do you slant the truth? Do you exaggerate stories to make your point more emphatically or to make yourself look good? You know that proverbial, oh the fish, it was this big, this big. How accurately do you represent yourself to others? Do you let people think more highly of you than you ought? I know I'm tempted to lie. In fact, let's, let's just be, let's be honest. How about this, can, can I be honest with you? Not, I, I have been honest with you. I will be further honest with you. I lie. This is where inside your heart and head, I hope you're saying, me too, Jace. Thank you. I lie. Uh, sometimes, I don't want to, but I do. And when I do, it's often because I don't want to disappoint others. Or, I feel like someone won't like an answer I give them. So, I try to avoid a truthful response because I don't want them to be mad at me or disappointed in me. Do you ever lie like that? 
maybe to your boss about why something's not done yet. You ever lie about why you're late? You know, oh, the traffic was horrible at that one intersection when the light was red. <laughs> Has the dog ever ate your homework? It's all to save face. Switching gears, how forthcoming are you at community group? Or with the guys or the ladies in your group, do you confess your sin? Not cloaked in vagary, but clearly. Not statements like, oh, I was kind of struggling with anxiety some this week. I mean, that's, that's fine to confess that, but could you not fill us in a little more? Could you not be more forthcoming about what exactly you were struggling with and why? Remember, it's motivated by deceitful desires. How about you confess what you really desired? Do you tell people about the struggles you're having in your marriage? You know, it's that old thing like, oh, we were fighting like cats and dogs all the way here and then we got to the church and it was all smiles and yeah, we're doing great. Are you honest with your spouse? Do you follow through with your kids? Children, are you honest with your parents? Young adults, young people, are you living a double life? Do you tell the truth about your finances? Do you say you tithe, but really you don't? Do you, t do you tell the truth on your taxes? Are you a man or woman of your word? Can you be trusted? Do you call people when you say you're gonna call them? Do you pray for someone when you say you're gonna pray for them? Is your yes your yes and your no, no? Friends, <laughs> let's be honest about our struggles with the truth. Let's be honest with ourselves. We are, all of us here, liars. If you are convicted this morning, you're not the only one. We do not have it all together here. We're a bunch of broken people and we all lie to save face at times. But that doesn't mean we have to stay there. That doesn't mean we have to be content with that. Jesus calls us to more. And so out of this sermon, you're called at least to do one thing and maybe two things. The one thing you are definitely called to do is to confess any sin that you're aware of to God. If he has convicted you of any lie or lie telling in your life, then you need to confess your sin to God, 1 John 1 and 2. And he is faithful and he is just to forgive you. He has given you an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is the propitiation for your sins. He's the blood sacrifice. He has bought your forgiveness. So you can go to God and confess your sin with no fear of condemnation. He will help you straighten out your life. I reminded of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 6 he says, woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to, to Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, Isaiah said. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Jesus takes away all our sins, friends. So confess your unclean lips to God and receive forgiveness, the cleansing forgiveness of that. And then the second thing you may need to do in response to this sermon is you may need to go to someone you have lied to and come clean. You may need to go to someone and tell them the truth. That's an act of obedience to Jesus' calling here. Let me close with a true story that maybe will encourage and inspire you after all of this about truth-telling. I know a pastor, he's actually a friend of mine, uh, who used to smuggle Bibles into communist Europe. He would hide them in his car and drive into these countries and then deliver the Bibles to Christians and churches there. Well, one day in these ventures, he got pulled over by some soldiers as he was crossing into a country, a communist country, and he knew what was coming. They had him step out of the car, and they said to him, Sir, what is your business coming into our country? What are you doing? Why are you here? And in that moment, he felt convicted by God. I cannot tell a lie. And so he looked at the soldiers, and he told them, I'm smuggling Bibles into your country. And they just looked at him for a minute. And then they burst out laughing. And so he started laughing. <laughs> at the joke that someone would tell communist soldiers that you're bringing Bibles into their country? That's, that's a good one, buddy. And they waved him on in. <laughs> Christians, we don't need oaths because we are radically truthful. What's the third commandment? Not to take the Lord's name in vain. If you are a Christian, you bear the name Christian. You bear the name of God. So do not take the Lord's name in vain by lying. Let us instead tell the truth and let us bear the truth. The world needs us to. They live in constant crisis of trust and truth, and so our truthful life becomes a powerful apologetic for the truth, and our truthful life is the surest way to build bridges of trust to the people who knew the truth that we have. So let's commit, let's commit, Covenant of Grace, to being a community that only ever speaks the truth, and that we speak in love. Let's pray. Well, God in heaven, we receive this word from you, Lord. 
God, it is a cleansing word. Because all of us need sharpened and to stay sharp in this area, Lord. All of us, uh, Luther said that, that sin curves us back in on ourselves. Lord, we're, we're always prone to wander back into that old self which is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so we need the renewing of the mind through your word and by your spirit. And so we welcome that today, God. And we pray that the conviction you brought would strengthen our convictions. I pray that you would give the gift of repentance to all of us who need it today, Lord. And I pray for those who are living a double life that they will repent and walk the way, the truth, and the life, the way of Jesus Christ, the straight and narrow. I pray for those who have sin in their life of lying, that they will confess their sins to you and receive sweet forgiveness and be cleansed. And I pray for those who need to go and talk with someone about the lies they've been telling. God, give them strength and grace for those conversations. Be with them, be near them. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.